Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness. 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 Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Guys, what is going on? This is Brian Sumner with the Foolishness Podcast. I think we are on about episode, what, 67, 68. There's been so many. I just want to thank you for all the shares, the likes. I know that stuff shouldn't matter, but what it means is people are hearing and they're listening and they're hearing brothers and sisters talk about the things of God. It's going all over the world. And I want you to know that the mission is you might hear a skateboarder, a jujitsu guy. You might hear a family going through a tear apart, a divorce, pain, hurt. It might be whatever. You might enjoy all the episodes, but some might be more specific. But today's episode is going to be powerful and impactful because there's so much going on around the world. There's so many people who have questions about this topic. So we're going to jump right in. We've been giggling and laughing already 15 minutes off air. So I am inviting on my new and good friend, Becca Cook. What is going on, brother? Ryan, it's so good to be here. I, I love it. <laughs> so we just spent five minutes talking about my my bookshelf that you're now coveting, right? <laughs> yes, I love it. Well, I'll find, my wife got it from Ikea. I'll, she'll be home in about an hour. We'll figure it out. But the reason why today is going to be so powerful is because you've lived this life for many, many years. And you can unpack this yourself in a moment. And deep within Hollywood, moving there from somewhere else, um, living a lifestyle that to many seems contrary to understanding biblical living. And now God has kind of pushed you to the forefront where you're able to share what he did in your life. You're going to speak into the lives of many, which means a lot of victory. But I'm going to start with just saying that you put out a book called The Change of Affection. And if you guys have not heard of Becca Cook yet, here is the subtitle, A Change of Affection a gay man's incredible story of redemption. Where are we going to start? How did this begin? How do you get to putting a book out that's going to shake some people to the core, both Christians who think they understand it, but also people living in that culture that maybe do not know God's love? So where do you want to begin? <laughs> oh my gosh, that's a broad question. So well, let's, I guess I'll start at the beginning. Um, yeah. Just to kind of give you a, some background. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, uh, mm. to a large Catholic family. I was the youngest of eight kids. Okay, wow. And when I was, I don't know, when I was like nine or 10 years old, maybe, no, maybe later, uh, when I was in elementary school, I started to realize that I was attracted to the same sex, mm -hmm. which was alarming at that, in that, back in the day, that was alarming because- yeah. According to my, you know, my family, my my church, my school, my Catholic school, my um, my the culture around me in general, all of the American culture, it was yeah. very much frowned upon to be gay. So, I, I just kind of um, put that in the back of mm -hmm. you know the closet and didn't deal with it and and sort of lived <laughs> a little life where I was I was feeling. Yeah, I, I knew I had same-sex attraction, but I yeah. just, um, but on the on at school I was like popular, and I you know dated girls, and and I went steady with girls in elementary school and high school, and uh, but I knew that there was something else going on, and wow. so I, yeah, I was kind of it was almost like the schizophrenia, like I didn't know how to. Yeah, it's really hard to navigate that when you're a kid. 
uh, when that happens because, because like I, I didn't choose to be. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, this is some of the stuff I'm excited you're talking about because how many Christians can have these conversations and think they know. And I want to hear about the real personal experience and, and to what you're saying, you know, my, my 10 year old son's going to kick my butt if he ever listens to this, but he is like, Hey, do you know who this is? And then he shows me a photo of this girl and he's like, you know, pretty, pretty much showing me that she's pretty. So there's you as a, as a nine year old and you're already noticing you have these feelings, right? And yeah. you're just pushing it to the, like you said, in the, into the closet saying, I'm not, and, and you probably didn't even know how to process yet. You know what I mean? This isn't what the Bible says. What are my parents going to think? That goes to the back burner. You continue living life. What takes place? And then, well, so in high school, there was kind of a turning point where, um, and when I was a junior in high, my third year in high school, I ended up becoming best friends with this guy at my school. And we, one night we were out mm-hmm. and we, we actually ended up coming out to each other. Cause I, I already knew he was, I could tell yeah. like he was gay, but yeah. like, we never talked about it. It was, it was this weird pink elephant in the room. Yeah. And, uh, and once we came out to each other, I was able to finally kind of have someone to confide in and to, so we talked about, I mean, we, we explored gay life together in Dallas. Yeah. Like we, we went to gay bars all the time. Like I was 15 years old, like go, wow. I don't know how I got into these clubs, but I remember this one moment. I talk about this in the book, I think, but the, there's a, there was a club in Dallas called the Stark club designed by Philippe Stark, the French designer. And it was, this amazing place. And I remember just walking in for the first time and there were, you know, straight people, gay people, yeah, drag queens, like trans people. Like I walked in and I was like, Oh my gosh. Like these, and this was, I was 15 years old and I'm like, these are my people. Like yeah. These, yeah. all these you misfits. felt at home then. I felt yeah. at home there. Cause these were the misfits of the world. And it's mm-hmm. like, I was a misfit internally, not externally. Cause I could fake, I could fake it really well. So I was this misfit internally. And I became, so we went, I mean, I would, I mean, I, every, every, almost every night we would yeah. go out and my parents were so kind of, <laughs> they were so out to lunch in terms of, oh, no. I was the youngest of eight. So they had just like, kind of, they were very hands off with me. They let, yeah, yeah. They, they made straight A's in high school and they were just like, oh, he's fine. And I would be out till five in the morning on school nights, like going to clubs, going to games. Oh, idea. Yeah. And, um. And, wow. and so that was like a huge eye-opening kind of experience. And I, that, that started to really, mm-hmm. that started to really open me up to um, accepting this as like a, an identity. And, yeah. and, and so, and then, and, and then in college, the same thing happened. I ended up becoming best friends with the guy and we came out to each other at the same story. And, and we, uh, that was, that was kind of a crucial thing because even in college I was still in the closet I no one really knew at my school Mm. and and then after college my best my best friend in college and I we moved to Japan for a year Tokyo and and that's that was like the biggest turning point because one of our one of his friends from Dallas came to visit us for a week he was part of that Christo exhibit I don't know if you know the French art or the, the artist Christo and his wife but they do, they, they wrap the Reichstag and like, okay. Know, 
Yeah, uh, yeah. They're, it's like they're they're these like the guy, <laughs> he just died. Crystal just died, but um, okay. Anyway, this guy this guy came to Tokyo as part of the Christo thing, and uh, he stayed with us, and we ended up falling in love. And that was wow. Like, and you were what age by now? Time. Like nineteen twenty ish or? What year was it? No, you were like 19 or 20 at this age. Like you'd had oh. these experience and now you're yeah. hitting. I was, uh, this was, I was 22 at this Okay. Time. Wow. 21. Yeah. 22. Uh, and so we fell in love and that's when, that's when it was like, okay. Cause it was the first time I was actually in a relationship and it was real. And I was like, okay, I came out to my family, my friends, everyone. And I, and then that's when it was like, this is who I am for sure. This mm-hmm. is never going to change. And I totally embraced it fully. hundred yeah. percent. And, and, uh, and then that relationship kind of dissolved. And then I moved to Cal, I moved to LA, Los Angeles. And, yeah. and in LA, I found, of course, I found this amazing group of friends and immediately because there were a lot of several of them were from my high school hmm. uh who all moved out here from the east coast after going to like princeton and brown and well, all those colleges like they so i met this whole whole extended group of people yeah my friends from high school and they were so much fun so smart so just like ambitious <laughs> and, and like they were really talented people like super yeah. and they're all they actually <laughs> All of those people that I was running around with, and those they they run they run Hollywood now. Like yeah, run, yeah, I know the way a lot of it ends up working. Whether people view it as a negative or not, but you rise in the ranks, you get more say in the things, and it's like you're trying to infiltrate things, but it just becomes the agenda. Yeah. This is who you know. You're look. I mean, if you're around brilliant, it's like skateboarders. I would see some of the best skaters in the world, and they were my people because we're connecting every day. So you now. You're fooling around a bit, then you fall in love. It becomes real. I've got to own this. And how did your family respond to that at the time? Was it like, you know, they went out they to were, lunch anymore? They yeah. were. So all of my siblings are believers. Okay. Uh, it's uh, a lot of my family. There was kind of a reformation in my family. My brother was like the Martin Luther, and he dragged <laughs> he dragged a bunch of people with him to the Protestant, the evangelicalism. I thought you were going to say he nailed something to your door. When he, you were, so. he basically <laughs> nailed 95 theses to my parents' door. And they, my parents, by the way, were way more traumatized by my brother coming out as Protestant than me coming out as gay. Oh, because um, they were Catholic, so he came out as Protestant. Yeah, they were traumatized. Uh, wow. But all of my siblings are born again. Like, all wow. of them, my parents, my parents are, are literally with Christ right now mm-hmm. in presence, which is amazing. But... Uh, they, my parents were so lovely to me when I came out. Yeah. It's something you never forget uh, when you, when people come out to their parents, because you have, I, I, you have all this time, years to wrestle with it in your own mind and you're dealing with it like on your own and you're in private for so long. So mm-hmm. when you come out to your parents, it's like this monumental moment. Yeah. And, and, uh, so it, when I came out to them, well, actually, I was in Tokyo and my sister wrote me a letter and she asked me if I was gay and I, yeah. which was shocking because I didn't know she knew. And then I, so I wrote her back and I said, yes, like I am. And here's, <laughs> you know, and I tried to break it down into like 
all the reasons and uh, to help her understand. And she immediately told like all, everyone in my family. So by the time I got back home from Tokyo, everyone knew. Yeah. So when I, when I got home, I remember I walked into the kitchen. My mother was just sitting at the kitchen table and she started just crying, yeah. started weeping. And I was like, mom, and I knew why. I was like, mom, what's wrong? And she was like, well, I heard you were homosexual and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, mom, it's okay. Don't worry. It's going to be fine. I just kind of yeah. like, and then she quickly got over it. And she was so, I mean, my mother was, has all, had all, have, was always super loving to me like mm. all the time. Um, and then my dad, my dad was just like, he, a couple days later, he came up to me and he said, Hey, Beck, um, I, so I heard you're, you're homosexual and did I do anything, you know, did I, wow. I a bad father? Like, did I, he, he asked me like a series of questions to see if it was his fault, basically. Wow. I was like, no dad, it's not your fault. Like, this is just who I am. This is, mm-hmm. okay. I, you know, I, it's don't worry. Like, this is who I am. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of it. And they were just like, over the years, for many, many, many years, they just, they weren't like supportive of that. Yeah. But they loved me like, Mm -hmm. like through all those years, they just loved me and never, they never condemned me. They never, um, they never like whipped out a Bible and said, well, Becca, Mm -hmm. you know, homosexuality is an abomination. Like they never did any of that. They just, but kind you do like, that already, right? You'd heard those verses probably, or you'd heard, you'd, you must yeah. have been raised. Because something that you just said that's kind of awakening to me is, I grew up saying, who am I going to marry? What's that day going to be like? Every girl grows up saying, am I going to fit in that dress? Where are we going to get married? You know, what's the house going to be like? But you grew up thinking, man, what's it going to be like when I come out? And I just want to even challenge believers for a moment. I have heard of people that were raised in the church the best grandparents and then they have that conversation and the grandparents never talk to them again or the parents don't know what to do and you just said something amazing they didn't condemn you because none of us get to condemn anyone you know john three eighteen says the world's already condemned or not so whether you're gay bi think you're something else just a liar james james 2 10 says if you've lied once you're guilty so we're all condemned because of our sin nature but so what your parents did was they loved you. I'm just thinking about those kids whose grandparents reject them and then their parents may reject them. And I think what your dad said is amazing. Hey, what did I do? So you're feeling loved. There's no condemnation. You're obviously not in Christ yet. Okay, carry on. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is they, it was like the prodigal son. And I talk about this in the book. It's like, they just kind of let me go do my thing. And, and I was supposed to go to law school. I was enrolled in law school. My dad was a lawyer and, and two and two weeks before classes started, I just said, "Dad, I'm moving to LA to pursue writing and acting and stuff." And he was just kind of like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, "Okay." He's like, "Is and, this something I did?" And so no? they just, <laughs> the point is, they did they just let me be the prodigal, and they didn't because no amount of badger blood, as John Stott says, you cannot badger or bludgeon someone into the kingdom of God. Like you, no, you, can't, you can't just badger. There's no, there's nothing they could have done. There's, yeah, yeah. there's nothing they could have done to stop me from doing what I was doing. Yeah. Um, 
So they, that I really appreciated that about them, that they just were like, okay, like do what you want. Mm-hmm. Go, go be a prodigal. They didn't say this, obviously. But yeah. They probably were just thinking, just go be a prodigal. And then, you know, we'll, we're, we're just going to pray for you for 20 years. That's what I was going to say. But they obviously, and I got John Stott books over here, by the way. I know we were showing off our bookshelves earlier. But so, you know, I have seven siblings and your parents um, who are weeping at a table one moment and asking, did I do something? They're all praying for you. Um, you go out to LA and I was boasting about this a moment ago. My sister Elaine somewhere in England, she does set design, works on all the TVs and the movies, knows them all. You came out to LA to write and you were interested in acting and everything as well. So was it the community that you'd experienced saying, this is my people? Or was that really where you were just going? Or, you know, did you want to be out there with everyone? Yeah. Uh, I, that's, that's a little complicated, but I, yeah. I I didn't, I didn't want to, because I grew up and I felt unconventional in my, uh, just my internal kind of, uh, MO. I just felt, I felt unconventional. So I never really wanted to do something conventional. Like I wanted okay. to do something. Um, so it wasn't because people, of that I, lifestyle. It was just, I want to go do something different, writing yeah, in Hollywood. Okay. In that life, like want to do something different in that way. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I had, and I had this kind of creative artistic side that I, I wanted to explore. And, and so, and then a friend, a friend of mine convinced me, she, who, she came to Dallas and we had dinner and she was like, move to LA. What are you doing? And I was like, well, I was supposed to go to law school. It's funny. We were at a Chinese restaurant and, um, after the, after the dinner, we opened our fortune cookies and it, this is literally two weeks before law school. She opened her fortune cookie and it said, you will be a great lawyer. And oh, I was no. like, Oh my gosh. Like if I had gotten that, fortune cookie, I probably would have gotten law. And God is sovereign. So that wasn't, that was the Lord not giving it to you. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, I moved out here because I wanted to explore something I wanted to like to do something interesting and and as my friend in New York says like I wanted to do something big like I wanted to come out and do something exciting in this world and my life that my friends in LA were were just so fun and, and and the things we did were so exciting and just going to all the the premieres and to the Oscars the Emmys the Golden Globes and going to Prince's house for a private concert. For, Explain for that to people. Cause you went just like doing something on the side. Your work blew up. You were in with the who's who and people that are running stuff, the producers, the writers, the actors, you're now an out man. And listen, I've done a load of stuff around LA, around the world, did things with like a hair companies years ago, everything. I'm around a huge population of gay, lesbian, all the rest population growing up in Liverpool, England. You said you've been to London. I say it almost every podcast, you're around black, white, Pakistani, Jamaican, everything. You know what I mean? African and gay, lesbian. And I'm sure if I went back, people who don't even know what they are. So this is just a part of life. You're literally in the midst of, like you said, Prince's home. Didn't they didn't need like a show at the home and you guys are all there and you're now living up what you've aimed to gain, I guess. You're just, you're living this lifestyle and you're accepted. So how's that all playing out? Yeah, I mean, it just was, it was extraordinary. I mean, I would just have dinner with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep at the Governor's Ball. Like, mm. I, like I, all these, and I would just, 
interact, I would hang out with Ariana Huffington at her house in Brentwood. Um, <laughs> and I remember thinking like Ariana Huffington, I used to, I told her uh, one, the first time I met her, I was like, you are my favorite person in Los Angeles. <laughs> um, in Los so, Angeles. So What's the I, population? <laughs> like, like 10 billion. I don't know. Um, but so yeah, I was having all, and that's what I thought like, like, life was all about. I thought it was yeah. kind of like having these really interesting experiences, finding true love. And I went through a series of five boyfriends, like major uh, relationships. Basically I was like married and divorced five times, but not really, but yeah. I was in really serious relationships. And so I thought life was about these experiences, finding true love and, and making, making it big in your career kind of thing. And Which why wouldn't that be the goal? If you're going to do it as we're getting older, you have more influence, you have more resources, you own more. That's the success of this world. You know, John 15, first John. Yeah. Yeah. Preach it, Brian. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm I, just taking yeah. this. In. I want to hear a man that's lived this. I want people that are going through this or unfamiliar with this to hear how you were being led. You know, this to me is, is the real experience. Yeah. And like, like, as you know, I mean, the book, like Mini Driver, people like Mini Driver, there were lots of them in my life who were, were close friends. And we saw many, like she moved to LA from, from Barbados or England. I can't remember where she England, was. England, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. But yeah. And she, she was, you know, kind of a, like, she had done one small film and she was here and like we were all super close and then she did goodwill hunting and she became this movie star overnight and so like that happened to a ton of my friends where like suddenly they were just superstars and and so that was like that all that excitement kind of drowned out any sort of need to know and like mm. ultimate answers kind of, yeah kind of, yeah like, yeah the idea of needing to know the meaning of life was drowned out by shiny objects in Hollywood. And, and it was, and it really did for years. I was just, mm -hmm. I was happy to have the shiny objects and I, I didn't really care. And also I knew that, that God could never, I could never be a part of God because I was gay. So like, I knew that that wasn't even an option, even though I wanted to, I mean, I did, I was interested in the meaning of life and I, yeah. and I looked for it in a lot of different places and, and theater, the theater and all these places, uh, art museums and, and, you know, novels and Russian novels. <laughs> um, but I, I just always kind of, I felt like, I honestly felt like the meaning of life was always going to elude me because mm -hmm. Because I, it's weird. I kind of knew that the only way to it was to through God, from my childhood. But I, yeah. I, I knew that I could couldn't be a part of that. So, you crossed the line now. You're living this life, um, and it's true. It's a distraction. You know the shiny objects. There's there's 24 hours in the day. I get up today. I'm going to do this, do that. How often do people even think about life? Yet the second someone gets hit by a car, or gets sick. You know, COVID, I mean, there's a reason I've said it a couple episodes now. They said Target was sold out of Bibles. So our prayer should be that, you know, Walmart sold out of all translations of Bibles. Then, then you're going to see real revival. But you was, because I listened to this in another interview with you, you are seeking the truth. 
And that had to have been obviously because your family has always claimed this was the truth. So you've already had in your head, well, what is the, is the truth? Is it God? Not right now. And apparently he isn't accepting of me, which we can talk about that in a sec. You know, once we get to the amazing things God does, but this is just a real question. You were in Europe somewhere, right? And you were like, is this it? I've made, you're making great money. You're around everyone. I mean, who gets to sit and eat with Tom Hanks? Probably one of the top five actors really for current American culture. You know, everyone loves him. I mean, so you're living it up in that sense, gaining the whole will, we'd say, like I say with my skate career, but losing our soul, not knowing God. And so that truth journey, you're in LA, it's all right there on a plate. What begins to happen? <laughs> it's a funny well, the, story, yeah. The, the plate begins to become boring. And and so I, after, um, let's see, after about 15 years of this, or 12 to 15 years of this kind of life, where, you know, it was like the fabulous life. You know, I was yeah. traveling the world. I was doing everything, meeting everyone, going everywhere, just invited to every party possible. And um, and then it started to kind of slowly but surely the law of diminishing returns set in. And it was like, and, that, and it really came to a head when I was at Paris Fashion Week in March of 2009. Mm-hmm. I used to go to you know all the shows in New York and Paris, and I. But this that year I was in Paris Fashion Week at this after I was at Stella McCartney's after party. Speaking of Liver Publin, isn't she? I know, right? That's Paul's daughter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, say Paul McCartney, yeah, (laughs) not the Apostle Paul. I was at her party after her show, and everyone was there from the fashion world, and and um. I was sitting at a table with Rachel Zoe, who was this kind of, she's like this fashion girl uh, in LA. And I was sitting with her, her and her husband. And I, I just remember that night, just looking out over the crowd and just thinking, is that all there is? Like, is this all there is to a fire? Mm-hmm. Like this Peggy Lee song, is mm-hmm. that all there is? And I just felt like, I just, it, I was overwhelmed with emptiness and overwhelmed with a sudden panic about my future. I was like, what am I going to do to sustain the rest of my life? Because mm-hmm. so far, since I was a kid, all this stuff, all this fun, exciting stuff has sustained me, but mm-hmm. now it's not doing it anymore. So what am mm-hmm. I going to do for the next 50, 60 years? Um, <laughs> so I was... I went back to my hotel in, in Paris, in the Marais, I actually rented an apartment there, but I, I went back to my place and, and like was up all night in a panic about my future. And I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I get back to LA, get super busy with my set design job again and sort of kind of forget about that. And then of course, six months later, God has a plan. Uh, six <laughs> months later, I, I'm at this coffee shop with my best friend who's gay. He's, and <clears throat> we were just, hang, that was our usual hangout. Um, In I, Silver Lake, right? In Silver Lake. Silver Lake. And I, and I, tell, I tell people all this, I say this in the book, but it's like, you know, we would have brunch. We would, you know, every weekend we would have brunch in, in Venice. Then we'd go to like West Hollywood or Beverly Hills, go shopping. And then we'd go have, and it was like, that's like gay church on, on, the, on Sundays. It's that's, that's what you do. <laughs> it's like the guy. anti-church. It's like, go do whatever that's, else. Literally. It's like the temple. It's that, that was our temple was uh, shopping and like brunch basically. And so 
Um, so we we got we were at this Intelligentsia, which is this coffee place in Silver Lake, and we noticed. Well, first we we noticed Tim Chaddick, who's a pastor of. I know Tim. Yeah. yeah <laughs> well, we were just at, you know, what was it? We were at Clarity Conference where we first met in January, and we did. You know, I know you were speaking a great sermon, and I was doing a workshop somewhere. I didn't get to hear it. I thought it was Tim. I thought it was Tim who played in the story. So, okay, you see Tim Chaddock, who's now a pastor in England. Okay. Yeah. You and your so friend my, are... My, so, Tim, my friend and I were sitting outside on the patio, and Tim comes out of the coffee shop with with a, a commentary on Romans. It said, like, Romans, and this big book. And so, my friend and I, we I knew enough about... I knew that what that was. I, that I was a book was in the Bible, Bible. Yeah. yeah, the New I, Testament. And so my friend and I looked at that book, and we were like, "What? That's so weird! Like, <laughs> why would this guy be carrying around that big book about Romans?" And then he immediately goes to this table right next to us with all these young kids, and they, he's like, "He," and they obviously know each other, and they they greet each other, and they, and then to. Much to my surprise <laughs> and shock and horror, the the kid, the, the young people have like there's like five Bibles on the table in front of them, and so that was a very surprising thing to see. I had never seen a Bible in LA in public, and now you're seeing five or six. This is like, and, and it was like, what is happening here? This is weird to see in Silver Lake, not let alone <laughs> I mean, like Los Angeles. Even it, it was just a weird sight to see people. So your friend ran out, and you stayed. Or no, were you like, no, there's five Bibles no, trying to get me right now? No, the way you're talking stayed. about it, yeah. yeah. My friend stayed, but he, uh, and then the, the, the young people, like, at one point they bowed their heads and prayed, and we were like, whoa, like, are they going to Jonestown, Guiana? Like, what's happening here? Oh, no. Um, and so, we, yeah. ended up, we ended up, my friend loved to sort of, stir up the stir the pot and like engage in kind of conversation he my friend was an atheist and yeah and at that point in my life i was pre, i was i would have called myself an atheist because mm-hmm. at that point i was like god doesn't exist there's it's all a myth yeah there's no way it's possible and i in all my friends it was just we didn't we didn't even need to talk about it because we just assumed that's what I was going to say, because everyone generally just views it as like, okay, we've been rejected by these Christians. I dealt with that many years ago. They're not supportive of a Hollywood lifestyle, you know, and there's been terrible Christian examples of walking in love. And I hope even some of our newer listeners don't really know where we're going to go on this yet or even where I sit on all this, you know. <laughs> so you're in there. Tim Chaddock's in there. Guys, look up Tim. He's a great preacher, teacher over in England now, but he's American you're in there. Your friend's going to stay at the pot. So let's just, let's just, we'll, we'll just dodge that bullet for a moment. You guys are going to bully the Christians right now in your coffee shop. Okay. Now your friend stays at the pot. Okay. Yeah. So I, so I turned to one of them and I said, you know, it's like a, it's like a Christian's fantasy come true. <laughs> I literally turned to him and I'm like, are you guys Christians? What's the deal? He's like, yeah, we're, you know, we are. And, uh, and uh, so we kind of, I turned my chair around and my friend's just sort of hanging back the whole time. Yeah. And I said, what do you believe? What do you guys believe? Because I grew up Catholic. I'm kind of fuzzy now on like, what, what, what do you believe? Because they told me they were evangelical Christians. Which can they, mean a lot nowadays. Yeah. 
well, they, that they, and they told me they went to a church in Hollywood called reality LA. And, and we talked about it for a long time and we talked for like an hour or so, or maybe more, wow. but, and then at the end, of course, I get to the $64,000 question. And I said, well, what does your church in Hollywood believe about homosexuality? And they said, well, we believe it's a sin. And, uh, and I was just kind of like, Hmm. And in that moment, I, it was like, I had this flash of, okay, what if God does exist? There's a very slim chance, but that, that, but what if he does, what if, what if also Mm. homosexuality is wrong? And what if I've built my whole life on this false foundation and I don't know it? Mm -hmm. So instead of, cause like a year before that, or five years, I, five years before that, I would have, absolutely said you guys need mm. therapy and you yeah. need help and i'm leaving yeah. now and i yeah. would have like probably thrown my coffee on the first <laughs> but um but well, well I, didn't I, you read about that pro- didn't you read c.s lewis was it mere christianity yeah yeah and he mentions that homosexuality he writes that it's a sin and you threw it and it happened to land in the trash. And <laughs> <laughs> when I lived up in Benedict Canyon, I, it was like this very specific moment. I, Cause I was like, cause I, this, that was like 10 years before this all happened. I was reading mere Christianity. Cause I was like, oh, you know what? Let me, let me just see what, yeah, what why were you reading that? Yeah. Why are you reading? I don't know. Yeah. I just was like, I want to see. Did what, Tom Hanks give it to you? Tom Hanks gave it. No, he didn't. Um, that's going to be the thing. Tom Hanks gives gave me, me a Christianity. Um, no, he, I just, I just was curious about, cause I was, I read a lot and so yeah. I just was curious and I was like, Oh, I'll just read this and see what, what this is all about. And then mm. near the end of the book, he, he mentions homosexuality as, you know, a sin. And I just, I just like threw it across the room yeah. and it went straight into the trash can. I'm being faced with my reality again. I can deal with it now. I'm older, but there's a nine year old boy who's like, what, yeah. You know what I mean? That's the sad side of it to hear the human side of it. Yeah. So, and now you're sitting because with him. Because the thing with the nine, when you mentioned that, the nine yeah. thing, it's when you, when you grow, it's like, it's such a struggle. That's the thing is it's such a struggle to grow up that way uh, because of the, because of the, well, at least back then it was such a struggle. Yeah. And, and so when you finally, and this is what I find in a lot of my friends, um, when you finally are able to come out and embrace that as your identity and uh, you, and when, when the culture around you embraces that identity, it's, it's, it's so hard to let go of that. It's so hard to like, re- like just, because yeah. it's it's like it's, it's been a lifelong struggle to kind of get to the point of finally being able to be comfortable in your own skin to come out and like be like ah like I can finally breathe now. But and that so is what was stolen of us in the garden, right? We lost our culture with God and we forgot our identity, and that's man's fallen nature. And I did, you know, I make a point of watching a lot of things. I mean, I grew up. My dad's favorite singer was Freddie Mercury. I watched the Elton John movie and the end of it you get to it he's had this hard life you know struggling but the end of it he ends up loving himself and the kind of picture is like does anyone else accept me and you know so there's tim chaddock and them to jump we can hit on all yeah. this in a bit but so 
you get addressed with this reality again. And you said, God, what basically began to deal with your heart? What if you're, or you were just thinking this, you know, what if I've missed this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't even know that was like God dealing with my heart at that time. Mm. I, so they, the, the people, they invited me to come to their church the following Sunday. Yeah. And I said, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'll think about it. I, I really don't. I honestly didn't know. I was just like, I'll, let me think about it and uh, just give me the address of the church and I'll get back to you or I'll just come. I'll just show up if I want to come. So I literally, I had a week to think about it. Wow. And I, I honestly, during that week, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was like, you know what, if I go and it could be super humiliating and embarrassing if nothing happens and, and what if my friends find out that I try, like I attempted to go to this evangelical church, like I could be like blacklisted from my friends. And, um, so I, it was, it was weird. And, but the following Sunday I, I woke up and I just, I felt like I was on autopilot. I you didn't I have a rock Venice and I was like, that day. You were like, I'm not doing the, uh, the other church. I'm not going to go to this other church. And I see. And so, I, I got in my car, got dressed, got in my car, drove to this church, drove to Reality LA, which is in a high school auditorium in Hollywood. And, and I, I didn't even know, like, you know, what, I didn't know what evangelical churches looked like because I was used to stained glass windows and smoke and bells and, <laughs> and candles and <laughs> And Friar Took. Yeah. So, yeah. That was my picture of it, going to bring them Friar Took and you wave that thing with smoke and... That was all I knew. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I, um, I was very surprised at how it was just like a, a auditorium. I mean, it was very plain and there were no windows and it was just like, okay, this is, this is nice. I like how it's so minimal, minimal. I like the minimalism of it. Cause you are a designer. So my wife so like, minimalist. I'm into it. And, um, and so then I hear the Christian worship band and I cringe a little bit because I'm like, Oh, I forgot there was Christian music. And, and I just seen it like satirized on true blood on this HBO show, like where this, this Christian band, it was just like super satirized on, on that mm -hmm. show. So I was like, uh, Oh, well they made fun of it. You mean they just mocked yeah. it and it was like silly they mocked it, like uh, for a full episode. Uh, oh. Wow. So I, I just, but then I was like, well, actually the music's good. I like it. And, and then I found my, I sat by myself, Tim Chaddock comes out and he starts preaching on Romans chapter seven. He was in Romans for two years and which is his one. Uh, and then Piper, Piper was in it for eight years though. So Tim's got to, got to get there one day, right? Tim, I know. <laughs> no. Tim, but he was on Romans seven and he just started preaching and hmm. things started happening. It was crazy. Like every thing he was saying was ringing true in my mind, in my heart. I didn't know why every word he was saying, I was just like riveted to, I was on the edge of my seat Wow! and, and I didn't want him to stop because I just was like, this is true. And this is true. And I, it was turning everything I understood about religion on its head. And so I, I, at the end of the sermon, he, he said, there's people on the side of the church, on the prayer ministry, they can pray for you if you need prayer for anything. And then there's like 30 more minutes of worship music. So I go over to the side, this guy prays for me. And, uh, cause I went up to this guy and I was like, 
again, a Christian's fantasy. I was like, hey, I don't, I don't know what I believe, but I'm here. And he was like, pray for me. And it was so loving. And it was like this amazing prayer. It was like this random straight dude, like the, mm-hmm. the amount of love that he had for me, it was so yeah. weird. It was like, oh, wow, okay. And I just felt very loved from beginning to end. Even when I walked in the church, Heidi Tortorici, who's, I don't know if you know Nick Tortorici, but his, Heidi was like, <laughs> she's like, she's like, welcome, we love you. And I'm like, what? what are you about? Well, help people understand that though, because we're not just saying that, you know, I, I always heard when I was coming to faith, you know, you guys go and try and talk about all this stuff. So God will accept you. Like, no, there's just this overflowing love. Don't get me wrong. Like I mentioned a couple of times when neighbors have shouted this at the kids or done this over here. And I'm like, man, there's frustration. You're going to catch people on their bad day. But as Christians, we generally just love people. You want what's best. We're excited you're here. I mean, to me, going to the church and seeing everyone and being encouraged and like, who's here today? Who's the Lord dealing with today? I mean, that's what you were feeling with, which becomes the norm for us. You know, hey, here's this Beckett guy and he's showing up and she doesn't know you were the guy in the coffee shop. And maybe Tim Chatter is like, okay, no way. But there you go. So so he's preaching. You get prayed for. And then I go back to my seat and sit down. Everyone else is standing and worshiping for another 25 minutes. And then I, I, when I, as I'm sitting down in my seat, I'm processing the prayer, the music, <laughs> the, the, the sermon. Everything's kind of like racing through my mind. And then suddenly the Holy Spirit, <laughs> like it was an atomic bomb. <laughs> God, God just like dropped an atomic bomb on me. And he's like, I'm God. Jesus is my son. Heaven mm-hmm. tells real. The Bible's true. Welcome to my kingdom. And I was like, oh, and just Amen. started bawling for the rest of the service for 20, 30 minutes. I, I, was, <laughs> I was crying so hard that I couldn't even, I, I, it was a hard, I had never cried that hard in my life. Isn't that it crazy? So Isn't insane. that crazy? And it was like meeting God, meeting Jesus for the first time. It was like a, a, a Damascene, a Damascene, like a Damascus moment. I, it was like, yeah. it was that powerful. I mean, I don't know if it was as powerful as Paul's encounter with Jesus, but it seemed that way to me. Hey, all heaven rejoices when one sinner becomes saint. So, I mean, it was powerful. You know, it's, so, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. So I, I just was crying and crying and I was crying because of the holiness. I, it was like Isaiah in the temple when he sees God's holiness. I was just like, it was, he was so holy that I just, I was like crushed by it. And then mm-hmm. also I was just crying over my sin and mm-hmm. everything. And, and then I somehow pull, collect myself and pull myself together at the end of the service. Eight I hours later. <laughs> yeah. I get in my car, drive home. I can barely see because my eyes are just like, <laughs> there's just like water everywhere. I can barely see and I get home. And it happens again. I get in bed. Wow. Take a nap. And because I was so overwhelmed. And God, it's like Moses in the cleft of the rock. God was like, let me show you some more of my glory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> I, and that's when, that's when I jumped up out of my bed and I started crying. And I was like, God, you have my whole life. Like, I am yours. And I knew in that moment that homosexuality was no longer a part of my life. I knew that it wasn't, I knew it wasn't my identity. I knew that it was a thing of the past. 
I knew that dating guys was not a part of my future, nor did I care because I had just met Jesus and I'm like, I'm going to go with this guy. Wow. <laughs> Good riddance to those guys because this guy is like way better. <laughs> and so, so I just, I knew it. I mean, and I was just actually praying about this uh, two days ago. I was walking, I do this walk up in Beverly Hills, this like beautiful walk. And I was like, God, thank you so much for having not so much grace on me that it wasn't like this kind of struggle or it i knew instantly i just Mm -hmm. knew immediately this is Mm -hmm. this this is sinful this is not who i am but i don't care because i just met jesus and now i'm in this relationship with him and and i don't care if i have to live under a bridge for the rest of my life I don't care if like Paul, Paul ran around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel mm-hmm. and he was beaten. He was, you know, he was jailed. He Shipwrecked was everything. And he didn't care. Like his, he was single. His life, mm-hmm. he didn't care about his mm-hmm. life. All he cared about was advancing the gospel. Mm-hmm. And, and I just knew in that moment, I was like, God, I'm yours. Like whatever you want, I'm in. And that well, was, I, that well, was I wanna... September, 20, September 20th, 2009. That was September 20th. 2009 2 p.m yeah and for me it was august september 2004 but i want to point to something you just said you went in the church saying i'm repenting of my sin just meaning homosexuality you just mean sin in general because we're all born into this world sinners so in god's eyes he's a holy god like i said lying lusting living for self we all have this fallen nature this is why we die Maybe for you at the forefront, this was the main thing you were thinking. But when you were saying confess your sin, was it a homosexual lifestyle or was it just like, Lord, I know I need... Because I heard a, a very known jujitsu guy the other day who'd mentioned a comment about homosexuality and it was random. It was nothing to do that he even knew we were going to be talking. I didn't even talk to the guy, but he was kind of getting bombarded on his page. And he goes, you know, all people are good. And here's the reality of people listening. Guys whether it's Beckett or Brian or Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or anyone, none are good. We might do good things. We might help an old lady across the road, took so-and-so in the bed, buy someone a chai, but we're not good. So God isn't waiting for Beckett to go, I don't want to be a homosexual. God is waiting for Beckett to say, do you see what I did through the son Jesus so my blood can cover you? And what's crazy about your story I had a guy on called Jeremy Vulo who's married to a ginger dugger, that family, the Duggars, you know, he lives up there by you guys, goes to John MacArthur's church on staff. You guys will have to connect. They are amazing, you know, brother and sister. But he had that same experience where the Lord got a hold of him. And for me, for those who have no idea why you're even listening to this podcast, um, you know, the ministry, I am second, my testimonies yeah. on that. And literally, if you listen to that story, probably 12 years ago, I was in this back room of my house. I was there weeping and crying, Lord, I'd been seeking the Lord for like, say, seven months, no divorce, suicidal. And my testimony from that moment till this day is I was in that room like, Lord, I was going to him to fix my life, but he came to me to deal with my sin. And as you said, and I was sitting there laughing and crying, saying, I can't believe this is real. But I'm raised you know, with a Bruce Lee mindset, Eastern philosophy, coming from Liverpool, wanting to go to philosophy major. I have all these mindsets. And as I'm reading the scriptures to disprove them, this, I mean, that's why I think our story is so the same because you just wanted truth. That's all I wanted. Yeah. Skateboarding worked out, money worked out, America worked out, but now I'm divorced. And just like you said, in an instant, 
And here's why I'm saying this, guys. Before you is a guy called Beckett Cook that lived this lifestyle, and whether it was homosexual or not, he is claiming a personal encounter with the living God. That is not normal, but it is to the Christian. That's yeah. what the gospel is. It's personal. Brian Sumner is claiming in that back room where actually right now my daughter is, you know, I remarried that woman. My son's almost 20. My daughter's 12. My son's 10. And they wouldn't even be alive. wasn't for Jesus. But that night was like you said, I felt this energy, this moment. And I knew the Holy Spirit had grabbed a hold of me. So aside from Beckett's amazing, powerful testimony that we're going to pick up in one second the same God did the same thing to me. He did it to you. And so anyway, back to you. I just wanted people that's that maybe what, don't well, know. Yeah. There was an, an op-ed piece in the New York Times like four years ago. And hmm. it, was, it was the title of it was, is God, uh, does God exist or something like, is God knowable? And, and it said, probably not. Hmm. And, and, um, and I responded to that article and they published my response. and and, wow. and it's like what you're saying right now is God, there's three ways of knowing uh, yeah. three, three, three epistemological ways of knowing. And one of them is um, through direct experience or acquaintance. And, and it's empirical evidence. Like the fact that you and I and every other person who has encountered God and has been born again, yes, you could line up 100 or 1000 born again Christians, which is the only kind of Christian there is, but you can line them up. And I, that term is redundant. It's funny. I it's been it. spoiled. You born again as no, you must be born again yeah, into his it, kingdom. When yeah. People use it now because it's like, it, it means committed Christian basically. Yeah, yeah. They're confused because the word Christian doesn't mean anything anymore. But yeah. if you lined up a hundred born again Christians, mm -hmm. they would all have the same story. Yeah. It's all the same. It's like I was, I was lost and now I'm found. I was yeah. in darkness and I'm in light. It's like this thing. It's like this. That, that's empirical evidence. I know. You know God. Oh, I'd love yeah. to sit there with Sam Harris or Joe Rogan or, you yeah. know, Eddie Bravo. I think Eddie Bravo, you know, high level jujitsu guy, 10th planet is almost right there because he's, he's doing the flat air thing, the conspiracy thing, the, the Genesis 6 Nephilim. So how much further do you have to go to realize, Eddie, the Lord is God? But here's what Beckett is saying. People have this idea, like I've sat with atheists after I've spoke and they've said, I used to be a Christian. And I say, you didn't. No, I did. I went to church. I had a Bible. No, no, no. That's a religion. Yeah. A Christian is someone that the living God has got a hold of. My friends who skateboard, when they hear this, my sisters, either Brian is crazy or the living God forgave me freely and the living God forgave you. That's what it means to be born again. I say it as much as I can. John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus asking these relevant questions. He's seeing signs and miracles through Jesus. He says, we see who you are. And he says, you cannot see this unless you're born again. Your eyes aren't opened. Your ears aren't opened. Beckett, your heart wasn't broken for the goodness of God. And even when Jesus says to Peter, and I say this so much as well, who do people say that I am? And Peter begins to list all these people that were supposedly the sign of a coming Messiah. And he says, but who do you say? And he says, you are the Messiah. And what that means is, as Jesus says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. Beckett and Brian didn't prove this to you, but my father in heaven, God got a hold of Beckett while his friend was joking around with some Christians. He got him into a church that was cool and designed the way Beckett happened. Hey, might not work that way for everyone. And the living God shook you 
And scientifically, listen to me, scientifically to you, it happened. Yeah, That's the way it is. Faith is subjective because Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, Mahatma Gandhi, Oprah Winfrey, you need to deal with God yourself. So, yeah. That's what, and by the way, Paul in, uh, in Romans 8 says, anyone who does not have this, this is like the born again. <laughs> like this is, this is like the most clear, uh, the, the most clear passage on what it means to be a Christian yeah. in, in the entire Bible, I believe. Paul says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not mm-hmm. belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the, his, his Holy spirit who dwells in you. That's like, that's it. And like, if, if that's not true in your life, then yeah, you're right. It's like, I was raised Christian. It's like that guy in the, in the Christian band worship band who just came out saying like, he's not a Christian anymore. Yeah. I've seen something about that. Yeah. And, uh, it's, I forgot his name, but it's like, but you read the article. Probably like, better. Oh, you forgot it. Yeah. I was raised in a Christian home and I, I went to Christian school and my parents are Christian. It's like, dude, none of that matters. <laughs> No, did you, you meet the living God? You must be born again. And it's personal. And so, so this happens to you. You're weeping, you're crying. You apparently start going back to the church. You end up, I mean, what takes place? Like you're walking through Hollywood and you're like, okay, because this is crazy. You want to talk about sexuality. You know what I mean? Like for every person from whatever age they've thought of these things. So you've had these thoughts your whole life. You've had these experiences. And now you're suddenly right away saying, Lord, I'm willing to abandon to many people the most um, fulfilling and passionate and closest thing you can really do another human being, right? And so did God make you straight? Had you ever courted a woman? Had you ever been physical with a woman? I mean, I mean, I, you know, we're friends, uh, yeah, <laughs> even though yeah. a lot of people are listening, but... I, I did in high school, I was physical with my girlfriends, even though it was like completely fake. Yeah, <laughs> I had yeah, to fake it. Yeah. But, uh, but I, uh, but so God didn't, I say this all the time, like yeah. the day before I was a Christian, my, my libido or my sexuality was at a hundred percent. And the day after I got saved, it was, it like, it went down to like, I don't even want to put a percentage on it. Cause I hate like saying even <laughs> that, but it's like, it went down to the minimal, like, yeah. Minimal. So sexuality used to dominate my thought life. I used to think about it all the time. I used to talk about it with my friends all the time. Well, all we talked about when I was with my gay guy friends, like yeah. we were, it's like straight dudes. Like we, all we talked about was yeah. sex. Like that's yeah. all we talked Like crass and crude. And, and even then in a romantic loving yeah. sense, not the agape sense, but like that world. Yeah. Okay. And so, so tech, like right now, I, I'm not, attracted to women mm-hmm. and but i don't i don't know if god and i know he can do anything he's done major stuff in my life but um mm-hmm. he can make he can make me attracted to a woman or if he wants to bring me a wife or whatever i don't know if that's ever going to happen but i don't care the point is like it doesn't matter <laughs> i'm happy I don't know being, if that's ever going to happen but you're happy being celibate because you view I jesus as celibate Paul in First Corinthians 7 has the gift because a lot of my friends were way, way more conservative and I'm conservative. 
I believe the signs are for today. I believe God's doing miraculous things around the world. I'm conservative. People would hear this and go, well, Brian, get to the part where is he still or not? And that's the focus is what's happened is the church has been pushed today. And I know friends who say, well, when you come to faith, if that's how you've lived, God takes that all away from you. People could still think about lying. People could still think about lusting. People could still think about punching someone in the face. If you've had these experiences, I met a gentleman years ago, maybe you've heard of him, Cy Rogers, and he'd spoken at our old church. I don't know how he's doing now. He just died. He's with Jesus. Oh my gosh. It's funny, as I was just even looking at notes, I was like, how's he doing? Because he was someone that was raised by two women, right? I believe lesbians. And he was around these women his whole life. And then he grew up saying, well, this is how I am. And he was very flamboyant. And he will tell you, he's the one who actually said, you know, if you're raised in Liverpool, he told me this. I mean, we connected, you know, at the old church. If you lived in Liverpool till the age of 14, 15, you are going to have that uh, accent. And he goes, and so for me, this is the residue I carry. But he apparently was going to go get the whole change and things chopped off and all the rest. Two lesbian friends called him from Hawaii and said, hey, we're no longer living this queer lifestyle. Jesus is good. And he's like, these ladies are crazy. All he'd heard about the Bible was, you know, I mean, hate the sin, love the sinner. It's not Adam and Steve. It's Adam and Eve. And I get it. I get people saying it, being short-sighted in their thinking. And, and the times we were living in back then, you know what I mean? My understanding of, of homosexuality growing up, though I had friends that went out, was a place in Liverpool called the Lisbon, where when people would go by, they'd try and push their friends in and say, hey, that's where you belong where it was like Police Academy 4, you know, with the scene in them, the Blue Oyster Club or whatever it is, and it's just always guys with mustaches, or these, you know, or then the David Bowies, you know, and I'm saying the same way people, yeah, or the David Bowie, you know, and Queen and Elton John, and then even Morrissey being asexual, but still, but I'm saying all that to say, like, that's crazy, you know what I mean? It's like, um, so Cy Rogers then doesn't have this thing done to him, you know, doesn't get things chopped off, goes into a conservative church, I believe. The men love him. I think it was men with suits and ties. He comes to faith, gets married, has a kid. And he just said, look, I'm going to struggle with things from my past because there was experience I had that my flesh might have enjoyed, but I'm living my life under God's call and covering. You know what I mean? So it's not a suppressing. I mean, it is as far as you just quoted Romans 8. And one of my favorite verses is 8.14, as many as are led by the spirit of God, the Spirit's never going to lead me to have sex outside of marriage, never yeah. going to lead me to have sex before marriage, though I am married. And so he's never going to lead you to go live things that he calls sin. So that's where you're saying, this is where I'm parking the car. Jesus is more than all of that. Your libido went like this, which is huge to say. And I think I've heard you say it before. Why even say I'm a, a gay Christian or not? No, I'm a Christian and I'm loving Jesus, but you chose to leave that lifestyle, right? You said, this is not what God has for me. How has that been? I mean, has it been crazy, hard, difficult? And how has it shook your world? Yeah. I mean, just quickly to touch on the game. Yeah. It's like, that's, yeah, that, that using that moniker to describe yourself is mm-hmm. so damaging. Even if you're being celibate and, and living, a, you know, a, seeking holiness and righteousness and mm-hmm. living with Christ. It's a damaging thing to say, like, I'm a gay Christian, because you're just speaking that. It's like saying, I'm an adulterous Christian. I'm an adulterous. Yeah. I'm an adulterous. It's like, well, we're all sinners, yeah, aren't we? And they, they lean to no, that's That was crucified with Christ. Like, you're not that person anymore. Mm-hmm. This is creation in Christ. 
Like, that's why I never, I don't even like to tell people that I'm a same-sex attracted Christian. I just think, yeah, Christian, I'm in Christ. Christ mm-hmm. is in me. The Holy Spirit is in me. I, mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not tied down to these things that, like, keep me, you know, bound. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm free from that bondage. So mm-hmm. I don't even want to talk about that as same-sex attraction. And that is what we do, though, right? In America, we say, well, you're this. I mean, when I came to faith... I got a Bible, the first one. I went through the whole thing with like a pink, a pink felt tip that one of my kids must have had on my wife. And I highlighted all the crazy things. How is Malusa 900 and something years old? Where are dinosaurs? You know, where are unicorns? You know, unicorns are just one horde rhinoceros. Um, unicornus rhinoceros or whatever it is, that's all it was. But then the thing that was hard for me coming from Liverpool as a skater, you travel a lot. I'm in LA, I'm in New York, you're in bars with people, you're riding for teams with people, they're hanging out with people. And some of these people are living these lifestyles. You're just accepting of people. Now I get to the Bible and I go, wait a minute, God, how can you have verses like Leviticus and Romans 1? And, and that was a challenge when I was coming to faith. I met a professor from UCI at my kid's birthday party, a Greek gentleman. And I just said, hey, you're, st- I forget what he was studying. And we had a conversation. He was a Christian. I said, well, why are people gay? And he said, Brian, 98% of the people, and I just met the guy. He was a high-level professor. He said, 98% of the people I've met who are homosexual had been molested when they were younger. And he said, and the other percent just acted out. So for me, I want to be loving to everyone. A load of skateboarders just had this whole video where everyone came out and did whatever. And I go, man, I love these people. I love my, my job is not to judge. In fact, first Corinthians five says, we don't judge the world. We judge the church in love. We say, well, Beckett, how you live and how you do. And Brian, what's going on in your life? We don't judge the world because like I said, John three eighteen says it's already condemned. We're all born in sin. And what some Christians do is they just throw the verse and they don't actually be loving. And what we need to do is live lifestyles around people. And here's what I say. I want to accept everyone, love everyone. But is it okay for a divorced and suicidal skateboarder to have encountered the living God as did Becca Cook and for me to trust him and for you to accept me so we can be friends enough so I can share the truth of God so we can stand on God's word so you can hear it it's what cuts through you like a sword. It's what leads you when you become born again. So I'm just saying that for the people that listen, like, what are we saying here? So well, that's I always quote Billy Graham when he says, it's God's job to judge. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. And it's my job to love. Because mm-hmm. there's nothing, that's all I can do. And I mean, I live in the middle of West Hollywood. Like yeah. the parade was just here two days ago. And uh, it's like, I could look at those people with scorn Mm-hmm. But I don't because I'm like there, but for the grace of God. I mean, the fact that God plucked me out of that world and into his marvelous light, mm-hmm. the, the fact that he did that is just like sheer grace. And it, it's mind blowing. It's mind boggling. And so I have nothing but love for these people. I have, I mm-hmm. just, I mean, I still, but in, in terms of how my friends reacted or my, that's my, what I was going to say then. Like, because you're not saying you don't preach and teach and proclaim. You went to Bible school and you are now becoming someone that is sharing the word of God. But this isn't 20 years ago where people just make these offhanded comments. 
I seen those skaters. I go, man, I'm so excited. They feel liberated, but am I allowed into that world? And are you accepting of me, a born again Christian who, you know what the Bible says, so I can share you of God's love because we all need to be born again. And that's when Jesus says, you'll be hated for my name's sake. I hate it because you're a bigot. You'll be hated because people don't take what the word of God says. Like Clive, you know, Clive Lewis, you tossed that book because it was the word of God he was talking about. Beckett, you're probably going to tell me some crazy rejection stories because of God. So go on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, some of, uh, yeah. So when I, when I, I, it took me a while, like a month to kind of tell all of my friends and I sat them down one at a time. And I remember just sitting at my But you came out? You came out as a Christian? I came out again, yeah. And so I, I remember <laughs> it just like every, like one, I was sitting here with this, one of my best friends. Um, yeah. She was in town from New York and she, um, she was like, what? She's like, well, I'm like, what's going on? I haven't seen you in so long. Like, how are you? And I'm like, well, I have the craziest thing to tell you. And she's like, but she's like, wow, are you moving? Like, did you meet a, did you meet a new guy? I'm like, well, I kind of did. <laughs> I met Jesus. <laughs> and the people were, were stunned. And they were, there was a mix of kind of, what, what was really surprising yeah. about it is how incurious people were. It was more like, it's like I would tell them the whole story and they were just kind of like, wow okay well i'm glad you found your path like that's great for you but i'm just like wait don't you want to know more i mean i thought i was so i was so brand new in the faith that and so naive i thought literally i was going to tell all my friends what happened to me and they were just going to get saved like that i did too i did too yeah it's like like pulling teeth i'm like you guys they're like it's good for you beckett we're glad you're happy yeah i texted uh like uh early on, like my, I have an ex boyfriend in New York and I, and we're still close friends. And I, and I uh, said, and he's an amazing writer in New York and a brilliant guy. And I, and I said to him, I texted him one day and I said, uh, I can't, I don't know if I should use his name, but I just said, Chris, um, I said, Chris, his name's not Chris, everyone. Yeah. I said, Chris, uh, you'll because we i had been i'd been sharing the gospel with him and i i'd been praise god but uh and we you know i saw him in new york many times like and i we went to dinner and i would explain more and he came here mm. and we had this whole like we had this whole uh dr- very dramatic moment one night uh, we were talking and when i was first telling you about my conversion to christianity uh he kind of had a meltdown when it came to um, when it came to the gay thing, when I, when I mentioned that he just like lost it. And, and I, we, we, we got into this kind of a little bit of a, a, a scuffle and not physically, but, and then, so anyway, I texted him, I texted him, you know, after that a couple of years later or whatever. And I just said, Chris, you're going to understand how much I loved you. Wow. On the last day, you'll, you'll get it. You'll Amen. get it. And you're still loving him because you sent him that message. Yeah, we. I still talk to him, and I still every time I see him, I'm just like, he's like, "How's God?" I'm like, "Amazing!" Like, please. Did he ask you? He asked you, "How's God?" Um. <laughs> so my friends reacted. Their reaction was, you know, as you can expect, and and they were shocked 
some only a couple people were got really really hostile and then over the years they were all very sweet and a lot of them were, were i could tell they they even told me like i wish i had such certainty as you do about life and i wish a lot of people were like i wish i had what you had and <clears throat> and then and then I was super vocal on the set, like on shoots I worked on. I was, I would tell everyone about Jesus. I was just like, couldn't stop talking. I just was like, I didn't care. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. You guys, you got to listen to me. I was on, I was on this UGG shoot for UGG boots in Malibu. And the, uh, the, the client, the, the, the ad agency owner, she knew I was a Christian because we had worked before together. And so we're doing the shoot and the sun's going down and she's like, Oh, and she's hilarious. Like she's this Jewish woman who's amazing and uh, like just super funny. She's <laughs> like, Oh, the sun's going down. Like it would be such a sin if we didn't get this shot with this light. And she's like, Oh, Beckett, you know all about sin, don't you? And I was like, actually I do. And the whole crew turns to me and they like are looking at me. They're all like lined up staring at me. And I'm like, what are the wages of sin? Oh. I said, right now, all of you people are dead in your trespasses, but I'm alive. <laughs> this is what you did. <laughs> I said, I'm alive in Christ. And this is how. And I explained the gospel. And then the, 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 the woman from UGG, she's a client. She was like, I'm going to go get a coffee. And, but the thing is, like, they, they still hired me over and over after that shoot. Like, they still love me. They, wow. They still want to hire me. But uh, Yeah. Well, isn't that the thing? Because there seems to be, and it's not hypocrisy. If you your whole life have been told you're wrong and everything you think, and these, and here's the thing we got to touch on. When people say, um, are you born gay? What I would say to someone is you're not made gay. In the garden, we never killed anyone. You know what I mean? In the garden, we never lied. We never stole. We never did whatever. But when we were born into this world with a fallen nature, America says, well, you, you feel this way. This is what you are. You think men are handsome. This is what you are. Go up to San Francisco and, you know, run around in leather Speedos or, or you know, I'm, I'm joking to be an extreme. You know what I mean? But I'm saying you'll see the extremes of it where it's like wound up because sadly, these people have just been bully, 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 bullied. And, and you know, that's sad. But the reality is now you're, there's a whole defense line and here you come where you're, you, you went off to this place for this land of something new and what you actually found was a new creation and now God is using you there and it's not to throw rocks at people, but man, even some of the skateboarders, they've carried this with them for so long and it, and it comes out and I'm like, guys, I'm happy you're working through your process. But the and I want people to hear this because Beckett said this a minute ago. I shared the gospel. You are someone that is grounded in Bible-believing churches. You're talking about life, death, sin, resurrection, repentance. We're not talking about being progressive in a way of just like, we just love people and we just influence people. And it's all good. You're saying the gospel. So you're now proclaiming the gospel on the set of Uggs. I'll never look at a pair of Uggs the same way. She goes and gets her coffee. Yeah, so I was very vocal and... For, for years, for 10 years until, uh, and then my, when my book came out. Yeah. I want to talk about that. I suddenly became persona non grata in Hollywood. Like I literally got my agent, like, um, sent me an email and it, and it was very kind of, uh, 
it was very vague, but basically my agent said, Hey Beckett, um, we know that, you know, things have shifted at the agency. And this is like, I had been with them for a decade or more. Yeah. Yeah. Things have shifted around at the, at the, um, at the agency. And we know that you're, you know, you're focused on your book right now. So we think it's best to part professional ways. And I was like, Whoa, like, so they cut me off. Like as soon as my book came out two weeks after mm. they like cut me off. And which was what? Six months ago, seven months ago. Uh, the book came out last was August. It August. August. Yeah. Okay. Wow. It's almost a year coming up. Wow. But I, the thing is like, I knew that that was going to, I pretty much knew that was going to happen because here's the thing when you have like, it's, if this book is out in the world, I cannot be, it's untenable to be on the set with Jessica Chastain or Julia Roberts or Katy Perry because if they, if anyone on the set is like, oh, that's, Beckett wrote this book and it just would, it would become complete chaos. And yeah, they could just make a comment to you or they could have problems with you or just attention. Yeah. So it just became impossible to, to continue. I knew it was going to be impossible to continue in that career. So, but God opened the door for like kind of full-time ministry now. So that's what I'm focused on now. Well, how damning is the book then? I mean, what, cause, cause let's talk about your book for a moment as well, because a change of affection. So you write this book and it's this story we've heard, but as we talked earlier, even prior people, are, you know, we're sitting around, we're goofy, we're laughing. This is a podcast, but you really unpack this. This is something that someone needs to go and buy. We're not here just to get book sales. It's not the goal of this podcast. The goal is for you to hear from a man of God that God dealt with. And hopefully the way God dealt with me and you guys are encouraged, but what is it about this book that might shake people up like that? Were you just so honest about everything you just said that it was too much people to handle? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if you publish a book in this day and age and, 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 and say homosexuality is a sin, I mean, that's enough to, to get you blacklisted in Hollywood. I mean, that's it. That's mm-hmm. all it takes. But, but yeah, I go into great. And like the first, as the first half of my book is my story, but the yeah. second half a lot of teachings on, on this issue and mm-hmm. kind of like looking at it from angles that, people may have blind spots to even a lot of Christians do yeah. because the culture is so powerful. Mm-hmm. It's so just uh, Christians are confused. At this yeah. Point. Yeah. They're like, Oh, but queer eye for this, that, that show is so good. I guess it's so like they, they don't. So it's hard. So I, in the book, in the second part of the book, I really go in and expose mm-hmm. the blind spots so people can see, Oh my gosh, like, I've been like, I was lied to or blinded by this thing or that thing. And, um, and so that's why I think the book is so, uh, was so kind of damning for my career. <laughs> the zeal, the zeal. Yeah. But here's the thing now, God is your father and he's jealous to boast in you. So we need not worry, you know, need not fear because he feeds the birds. And yes, the birds go out every day and they open up their mouths and the worms get dropped in. So you're going to be diligent in doing what you're doing. I mean, we met because you were speaking somewhere. I never thought I'd have a podcast or be traveling, doing ministry. God's the one who anoints us and prepares a place for us and sends us out. But the thing is, I want people that might hear what Beckett said. First of all, he lived his life as a gay man who naturally had these feelings growing up in a fallen world. 
was a, a confronted by God, the Holy Spirit, sealed in him. I mean, felt love. And, and you have this radical encounter where you're willing to leave this lifestyle. That's going to challenge some people. I talked to a friend some weeks ago who's so hurt at the church because doesn't know whether she's this or that, you know. And so rather than saying, well, it's not about me, it's about God. God's the one who made you in his image. God's the one who can only truly satisfy you anyway. We're going to be grabbing for everything else, sins from for a season, whatever that is. Living for myself, chasing the whale, just obsessing with anything. So for people to hear, guys, you've got to get out the way and let God be the one that speaks into you. Let his word be what leads you. And for you, like what you said, man, it, it would be great if you're like, you know what, Brian? Someone heard your podcast and this woman hit me up and said something and we met and suddenly here I am. You know, you were joking saying if God brings you a wife or if not. And then I said, well, Paul, Paul says, if you have the gift to be celibate, that's it. We don't go around attacking people because they tell lies or people because of what the Bible says about homosexuality, but we stand on the truth. We want people to walk with God. And when you stand before him one day, be innocent because of the blood of Jesus. So I hope people hear this with love. I hope people who were wrestling with this because, yeah, so your book, can you get it in England as well? Is it? Yeah, it's in, and I mean, it's on, I think it's available in England, but it's on Amazon and it, you can get it, the audio version or the Kindle version. So it's definitely wow. anywhere in the world. But um, that's the thing. It's like, um, I forgot where I was going to, where, where well, were it's you? almost like the roles now. I mean, we jumped around everywhere, but it's almost like the roles are like all these people that are then accepting and then step back. And now you're right here with the ministry. You put this book out of change of perfection. Your affection is now on Jesus, but now you're beginning to speak and travel and what, what's going on? You know, are you still doing set design or what? No, no, I'm not doing that anymore. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm basically, I, I speak at churches and, and uh, Crazy. universities sometimes and, and, you know, conferences and I, because, and that's really, it's like, God, I, God called me to seminary, which was a whole other story. Which was <laughs> God, it was like, God literally called me to seminary and, and I was like, but how is this going to work? Because I'm going to have to turn down the 80% of my set design jobs to be a full-time student. And God's like, don't worry about it. I got you. And he paid for all of it. Plus more like, that's nothing. crazy paid for four years of seminary and everything like everything and plus like a monthly <laughs> stipend um sounds like he's a god doesn't it he can do yeah, whatever he wants god, that's the thing when god <laughs> wants you to do something and you are obedient he just he's, he takes care of it. he's like oh i'll i'll figure that out don't worry wow. i own the universe you might you might not know this but i own the universe but um but I, uh, wait, where, what was your last question? I just forgot it now. Well, we're just going everywhere, but here's even something for you. Help me with this as a pastor. If I'd planted a church and we've had this conversation at our church, you know, we've had various people come in and speak and I've been preaching. There's been two guys sitting there. I know they're gay and I'm like, great. They're in the church here in this. It was a gentleman that came to our church who'd got like, you know, a boob job, but he's still a man down there. So while a Christian can say, oh, you know, well, blah, 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 blah. You might be right, but what is that guy going through when he gets in the shower or when he tries to have a relationship or what he tries to deal with? We need the compassion for such people. You know what I mean? Because no one's any different. We almost be born again. I've said that a few times now on purpose. But my point is, as a pastor, say I'm part of our church, 
suddenly two men start coming or two women start coming or whatever happens. Everyone's welcome. But then they say, hey, we want to start serving the donuts. Or we want to start doing this. Or we want to start doing that. Here's where pastors don't understand because a lot of these churches are just so, they don't ever want to talk about abortion. They'll talk about the whole black thing right now because it's very social. And we should, we should be loving everyone. You know what I mean? We need to love every person. But they'll kind of avoid these topics because either they want the church to be big and accepting and now this whole new Christianity, whether it's the woke Christianity guy, it's not about being woke. It's about being born again. Or we want Beckett, let's start a church and be a big influencer. And we're going to have the biggest band and the biggest conferences, and the biggest whatever. But are you going to preach the truth so the truth can set them free? How would I as a pastor in a church navigate that? If people want to come in and get involved because you're loving on them, we're hanging out. Oh man, Beckett and Brian are cool and these people and whatever. Then there's ministry that's where pastors don't know what to do, right? Yeah. I mean, I think at a certain point, you have to be clear about what your convictions are, what your church's convictions are. Mm-hmm. But this is the, you know, I talked about this before on, on something, but it's Genesis 1, 2, and 3. This is the, this is the real deal. So Genesis 1, <laughs> you see that God speaks, right? God, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, and God said. Genesis 2 the man speaks. He names all the creatures. This is three. The serpent speaks and sows doubt in the garden. And the man is silent. Um, Adam is silent. And so that's what's happening. I feel like in our churches now, a lot of our churches is you, like you said, pastors or leaders are terrified of broaching this subject or abortion. So what's happening is, Mm-hmm. is sowing doubt. He's just going through all the churches and sowing mm-hmm. doubt. Did God really say that homosexuality was a sin or did like, is that real? And Christians are buying it hook, line and sinker. Yeah. And a lot of them, a lot of churches are splitting a lot of, even just within the church, there's, there's people who knows how many people like don't, don't really uh, understand, you know, the truth or, or, or not, but, um, that's, that's the key is, is mm. we have to be, we, ha- it's, Jesus was the perfect example. Like he, if you just read through all four gospels, yeah. one sitting Jesus, he was the perfect balance of truth and love. Mm-hmm. Never, there was never, he never like leaned more on one or on the other. It was always truth and love. And the way he interacted with people was so was so personal and so loving, but also so clear that the woman at Samaria, in Samaria at the well, he was like super loving to her, but so clear to her. Mm-hmm. And you have five husbands you've had. So obviously the lust or the giving your body over is what's the sin. And she says, I see you're a prophet. And then he begins to minister. Yeah. He confronts her where she is. So that's the thing. It's like this, it's this tricky balance and it's hard. It's, I'm not saying this is easy, but it's this balance as, as Christians, mm-hmm. where we have to speak the truth in love. And as a, you know, if you're a pastor of a church, you know, this is the, this is this issue. And I talk about this, like this issue is the, the issue of the day and it's the deal breaker for mm-hmm. many people to come to Christ. It, it was for me for many years, it was the deal breaker. That's yeah. why I threw the mere, mere Christianity into the trash can. And, and, but you, we have to, um, 
we have to be loving, but also be clear at the same time. Mm-hmm. Just like those guys at the coffee shop, they're like, yeah, it's a sin. Like we That's what I was going to say. That was the moment when God got a hold of you because the truth will set you free. Without that moment, where would you be today? And I have friends who say, hey, it's not for me to judge. I'm not pulling a Joel Osteen where it's like, who knows what's happening? No, Beckett and I are his priests sent out into the world to be loving. So we don't run around with signs like the Westboro Baptist or whatever. What they were doing was crazy. We go in love and we speak the truth. And I would hope some of my friends O'Brien, I just want to ask you, what does the Bible really say? Here's what God says. And this is the God who made you Beckett, who loves you Beckett, who can only truly fulfill you. And this world has sowed so many things. And you might have all these emotions and this might feel really good and experiences, but you were made to know Jesus and people don't get what that means. To have that joy that you now have. I mean, just be honest. For the rest of your life, whatever's going to happen, our bodies are going to fail us. Love. I mean, I'm still bummed that Cy Rogers passed. I'm like, I want to go read how the guy, you know, and, and he just passed. That sucks. But only Christ can really give you the peace that surpasses understanding. So, and to this, what you said, I, I'm going to probably have to really start challenging churches because it's crazy. I was divorced and suicidal. You were living a life where you were so shook while gaining it all, but just not knowing the Lord. So many churches are just like, we're just going to be good and, and loving and just whatever. And what you're doing is not challenging people with the truth. And it's political. And, and I, I, I've seen pastors around here who are shaming white people right now. They're shaming people who have 10-year-old kids. I'm like, guys, no, you need unity. You need to love on black people, love on Latinos, love on them all. But the second you hate a cop, or you hate a black person that killed a black person. The second you do that, you're not walking in the will of God. You're judging, you're condemning, you're not living peaceably. So you're saying though we should be loving to all, but speak the truth in love, not let go of the truth. Yeah. And again, it's not, it's a difficult dance. It's a difficult balance, balance. Yeah. But that the thing is I tell Christians this all the time. It's like, have your convictions settled on this issue before you go out and try to love people. Because if you go out and try to love people and you're just kind of like, oh, I don't really know if this, I, who knows? Nobody does. Yeah. No, no, no. Have your convictions settled. Then love people. Mm. Because this is, uh, because I, like I say, this is such an identity issue. And that's why in the book, yeah. I say, sin is the same but different from other sins because it's so bound to identity that's why there's gay pride parades and not greed pride parades. That's why it's like an identity thing. And so that's yeah. why it's important. That's why we're even talking about this right now, because it's mm-hmm. not like we're not, we're not talking about, Oh, I used to be, you know, this terrible gossiper and like I came to Christ. It's like, no, no, yeah. <laughs> this particular issue because of a lot of circumstances that, that have happened in mm-hmm. the last and led up to this moment in time and this um, such a time as this has made (laughs) the kind of stumbling block of culture more so than I think anything else. Like this Mm -hmm. is a stumbling block and, and it's important to, um, to, and that's what I say too, to to young people who are struggling with this issue. It's like this life, is a vapor. It's a mist. It go. It goes by in two seconds. So, yeah. what do you want your life to be about? Do you want to sell your birthright like Esau for a single meal, or do you want your life to be about 
God's kingdom and serving him. And when you meet him face to face, he's like, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like, what's the, what do you want your life to be? Because it's it lasts two seconds. Yeah, it's that quick. James says it just like you said, it's gone. Yeah. I mean, Cy Rogers' life is gone. Imagine you to live that whole lifestyle and not knew the Lord and never been redeemed, but the goodness of God leads us to repentance. So, man, it's... Yeah. That's amazing. But your book is everywhere. People can get it. Guys, go out and get it. There's so many people that have asked me questions about this, and I don't want to just jump in and tackle it. I wanted to make sure that someone would come on that understood what sin was, that God's word was above his life or her life. I hope that people I've talked to in the past hear this and say, man, Beckett and Brian look stoked despite the chaos of losing jobs or different lifestyles or whatever we faced. God is good. So any closing, I do want to ask you, and conclusion thoughts, but what would you tell yourself as a teen if you could go back and at 15 as you were going out, maybe those nights in Texas or, you know, Dallas, was it? What would you want to say to someone that's at that age? It's just like, man, you know what? I get I'm going to be prodigal. My parents don't get. You're sitting on a bench with, with a mini Beckett. What would you say? <laughs> uh, well, I don't, it's hard to say because, because I, it's almost like I had to go through all that. And God's timing is perfect, you know, and I had to sort of go be the prodigal and go through all that. And, but what I would say, I I guess I would say, and my dad said this to me when I was at, when I was 15, I think. Um, Amen. He just said, you know, seek, seek after the truth, seek first the kingdom of God. And, And, and just like, I would just say that, Everything else in the, and it's hard to, it's hard to communicate this with, you know, with, you almost have to live the experience to really understand it. But everything on this planet, everything, every experience, every relationship, every pales, pales in comparison to a relationship with (laughs) and obedience to him. Mm -hmm joy it's so joyful because it's like oh my gosh i have this heavenly father who cares about me who loves me and being obedient to him is amazing because now mm. living in a postmodern relativist world where nobody knows anything and everything's subjective and there's no objective truth i actually know objective truth now and i feel so safe and secure in his love that i being obedient to him is like my favorite thing to do <laughs> It's like, well, you started smiling as soon as you mentioned it. It was like, want God, like if Francis Chan Chan said this in one of the sermons, he said, if the Bible said that Chinese men had to stand on their head for 10 hours a day, I would do it. I've heard that. Like if the Bible, if God's word says, you know, I need to Mm. X, Y, and Z, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to kick against it. I'm going to do it because I, Mm -hmm. God, plucked me out of obscurity and made me his son. And I was so I'm like, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> so hear that guys and grab a hold of the word. I say it so much is that don't put it down till you picked it up. You might've just heard Beckett saying that and said, but what about the people who died in the Bible or this that happened or slavery? Go study that. Go study what real slaves were like in the Bible and how the master was to take care of them, clothe them, prepare for them, take them on vacation. It was a blessing to be a slave. If the master sucked, 
It's like your boss sucking or a spouse sucking. That's not on man. That's the man being lame. It's not God's fault. Likewise, you know, the evolution idea, all the rest of it, the science, go get in the way. Because if one of my children said, here's where I am, I go, I love you and I'm here for you. And I've seen beautiful things that dads have said to their children, but I would say, listen to what God's word says, because he's loved you long before I have. Get to know him, and I'm going to point you to Jesus and the truth, and that's the thing that will lead you, direct you, and take you into his glory. So so anyway, last thing though, how do we get a hold of you? How does someone track down Beckett? Have you come in and speak, um, message you? What's the website, the Instagram, all that fun stuff? Um, they can, well, the website's beckettcook.com. Beckett is one T, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, they can email me through the website, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Any closing thoughts? Um, no, I mean, it's, it's been such a joy to talk to you. I it's, let's do it again. That's all we I need want. to. I was thinking maybe what we'll do is we'll do a follow up, guys. If, if you want us to do this, let the public speak, message Beckett, message me. Can we send a load of questions and we'll get here and I'll have Beckett answer them. And final thing though, can you tell Stephen Ball when he's fired? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've known Stephen forever. And like last time I seen you, his wife, you got to message Stephen, you got to do this, this. I'm like, when I message him, he does not message me back. So Stephen Baldwin, wherever you are, I know Beckett's messaging you today. You're fired. So no, he's awesome. And yeah, he's He's in New York right now. (laughs) on his farm that's right so well god got a hold of steven got a hold of me got a hold of you but would you just mind praying us out and then we'll close up just for you know whatever may be going on yeah thank you father thank you so much for today thank you for this time with brian and for anyone who's listening god i we love you we thank you so much for your your mercy your grace your salvation for bringing us in from darkness to light, which is unbelievable that you even did that, God. And I still wake up every morning just in shock that I'm in your kingdom, God. And I just pray for all those who have listened to this, if they're struggling with this, if they're struggling with your word, whatever, God, that you, by your spirit, that you would help them to, to understand your word and help them to and, and and bring more and more people into your kingdom god those who don't know you god i pray that that they would just uh just give their lives to you right now yes lord, lord and I, I just thank you for brian's heart to to reach the lost uh i just i love evangelist's heart and and hearts and and god i just pray that um yeah that you would we we would just see so much so many more people come to you and come into your kingdom, God. That's what we long for. So I just thank you for this time today, God, and and for Brian. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, guys, I'm sure for some of you it has been heavy. Um, Some of you might have brought up stuff you'd never talk to someone about. Some of it, it could be misunderstandings. But here's the hard part that really shouldn't be hard. We view it as bad news so much, but it's not. It's good news. Beckett, Brian, Stevie B, and everyone is made in God's image. We're Imago Dei, but we fell. We live in a sinful world. We're running around, fooling around with all this stuff that we think it's relevant. Beckett's mentioned it many times. Is it gossiping? Is it wealth? Is it self? But what we need is to be forgiven and born again. And that only comes through Jesus Christ. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father but through me. And even this podcast is called Foolishness because the verse says in 1 Corinthians 1.18 that this message of the cross is foolishness to people that are perishing. If this is all dumb to you and silly to you, it's not me saying it. It's not Beckett saying it. It's the word of God that says, well, you're dead and you're perishing. But the Bible goes on and says, but to us who believe this message of Jesus, the cross is the power of God. We're going to die one day. We're going to stand before him. Beckett isn't going to list a bunch of things he did right or wrong or that I did right or wrong because none of us are good enough. The only leg we have to stand on is in Christ who is alive today and his blood has been applied and you can receive that by crying out to him, asking forgiveness, getting into his word. Guys, some of you to go get his book right away because I'm sure it's flavored with so much scripture. I'm going to finish the rest of it um, and just deep about the things of God. So we're praying for you. We're believing for you. We love you all. Get a hold of me at briansumner.net or the website. So you're doing okay? You're in, what is it, two hours now or what? We've been here. <laughs> is it Oh my gosh, that's a long, like a Joe Rogan thing. It's like a Joe Rogan thing, but but less smoking stuff and doing whatever they're doing. So, mm-hmm. Beckett, it has been a blessing. I know this is going to encourage people. Um, guys, share this, get it out. And, and we hope we haven't offended someone or hurt someone. We want to point to God's word, but hit us up, let us know. So God bless you all. Amen. God bless. This has been brought to you by the One Story Podcast. Hey,